Hello and welcome to Cody and Corbin have a podcast, the show where two former roommates talk about Star Trek 2009. As always, I'm your host, Corbin Zavokal, and joining me is my certified Trekkie co-host who <laughs> dares to boldly podcast where no man has potted before. Cody Webb. Cody, what's going on? You excited about this one? I am very excited for this episode. I think it's going to be a great one. A uh, hell of an intro from you, if I uh, do say so myself. I don't know about a certified Trekkie. I'll uh, I'll take that. I, I won't deny it off the bat. And uh, I think you are probably the Spock to my <laughs> Jim Kirk uh, in the podcast world. So yeah, respect, man. For sure. It's uh, the continuation of May Mania. We're nearing the end, the final days. Yeah. We had to celebrate another birthday on this podcast. We did mine a little bit ago with Contactless. Well, it's Cody's birthday today, May 27th. So we're wishing him a special happy birthday, number 24, by finally talking about J.J. Abrams' 2009 Star Trek. I think it's a good, uh, you know, capper to May Mania. May not even be the last episode, but, you know, near the end, obviously, if not, I'm excited. Appreciate the birthday wishes. Uh, probably going to be a, a terrible one, but we move. Uh, you know, Star Trek, it is one of my favorites, I would say, and uh, had to do it on the B-Day pod. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And since it's your birthday, leave Cody a like, maybe a comment, <laughs> follow us on Spotify, give us a YouTube subscribe, all for his birthday. That's all he wants from the people, right? Yeah, that's my only wish for the birthday. So if you guys go and do that, that'd be uh, good enough. Uh, I don't need any other gifts other than that. So yeah. Cody, why? Why, 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 why so serious? Did you pick this movie? Why would you want to talk about Star Trek on your birthday? Yeah, you know, there's several reasons. Um, first off, I mean, uh, basically, you know, whenever it's my pick on the podcast, I always send Corbino. A couple you know, a couple, options. couple options, fill out the waters, you know, be like, oh, you know, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And I always just throw Star Trek in <laughs> as one of the options. And, uh, you know, Corbin never wanted to do the episode for some reason. So I figured, you know, it is my birthday. It's a special one. And uh, we might as well kick it in now. But as well, uh, I mean, kind of my my family, they probably are certified Trekkies. So my grandpa, he's a big fan of like the original Star Trek series. And then my mom's like a massive Next Generation fan. So this movie was kind of made for me. This is like kind of the next next generation movie wise. I feel like I don't know if it's technically a childhood film. It's kind of in the gray area there, but one I have seen a bunch, and yeah, one that I thought would be a fun one for the pod. Yeah, I like it a lot, and I can at least relate to you a little bit on that front as well. My mom is a huge Star Trek fan, so I've got a little bit of a Trekkie in my blood. We'll see if it uh, causes me to like the movie in the same way it does for you, though. Um, let's talk about that first time you saw it, Cody. Do you remember? This movie was actually released May 8th, 2009. So we're kind of uh, a little bit on the uh, 14th anniversary of it, a little past it. That's true. It's true. May is uh, a great month for, for the re release of movies, kind of kicking off the summer. And uh, I think it did fairly well at the box office. I unfortunately did not see it in theaters. I believe at the time in 09, I was somewhere around the age of 10. Don't remember much from those days. Maybe I did see it in theaters, but I do not remember... Uh, I think the first time I saw it was just on TV. I think like on FX, kind of like a, similar to like Real Steel or something like that. Just crazy reruns. Um, but eventually uh, we do have it on like a DVD in our household. So I definitely watched it on that a few times as well. But I, I can't I can't pick a specific date on this one, which is unfortunate for the first time I watched it. I think I've probably seen it like 10 plus times though. 
So uh, definitely rewatched it a ton. But yeah, I don't really remember the first time. Do you remember the first time, Corbin? Well, Cody, unlike you, I am a real fan and I saw this movie <laughs> in theaters. I was talking to my mom earlier today because I wanted to confirm. I said, hey, we did see this movie in theaters, right? And she said yes. So um, little, little uh, eight, almost nine-year-old me uh, went and saw this one. I wouldn't say probably opening weekend, but definitely sometime uh, during its release over that summer period. I didn't really understand what was going on. I think we'll talk about it a little bit about how well this movie does um, kind of drawing in new fans and, you know, catering to the old ones, but all the like old Spock shit, fucking, I was lost time travel. (laughs) Um, I had no idea. None of it made sense to me. Can't say that it necessarily makes a whole lot of sense to me now either because I'm not, you know, a huge Star Trek fan. I did get my mom's opinion. She said she was a fan of this movie. So we'll say that right off the bat. Um, She says she does prefer the more traditional tales um, and that she, that this world ends up in some stupid timelines, shifting stuff (laughs) that I hate, but she's never going to dislike something in the Star Trek franchise, except animated stuff. She never will watch animated (laughs) stuff. Um, It's just why she also does not like Star Wars, the Clone Wars. So there's a little, uh, little mom spotlight there and then she also said to me next time let her know because she'll come on the podcast in advance so hey talk more star trek cody might be down the line we can get amy and michelle on (laughs) that'd be a wild episode the moms and star trek i'd be down dude uh there's a lot of good uh, star trek movies out there and uh getting uh you know mrs vocal on on the pod would be a must so i think that's on the near wish list but uh yeah i love the little mom review too (laughs) She's not wrong. I mean, this is like this movie is made for for modern modern audience. Let's talk initial thoughts. Let's get into it, Cody. Because yeah. good morning, Vietnam. Tell me, you know how this differs. You, I'm gonna really lay the floor out for you to be the Star Trek expert on this podcast. <laughs> so tell me, how is this a little bit different from the traditional Star Trek story? Yeah, there are uh, a few main differences. I think, in a sense, though, this is a bit of a love letter to star trek but just in a different way maybe for like i said the next next generation yeah obviously it's taking the original cast from the original show in the 60s uh the classic characters you know everybody's supposed to know kirk spock the whole original crew scotty but it's obviously it the first thing that does it uh brings their ages down a ton so i mean the original series they were fairly young like william shatner i don't know he's probably like mid-30s i would say maybe even a little younger that'd be fair but then all the movies, which I feel like people know a lot more than the original series too, like they were pretty old. They did like seven of those in one of the last ones. I mean, they're all like admirals because they're all like 80 years old. You can't do much with an old crew, I feel like. So kind of taking it back to the younger crew, I think is smart. Obviously, it's the whole Hollywood thing too, of a recast young so then you can have a long franchise. Obviously, that's their thought here. But along with that, I think this movie, it's a lot more action-based than any Star Trek movie. And it's also a bit darker than most Star Trek movies. Uh, the first couple things that I did want to mention, obviously, is uh, the destruction of Vulcan, which happens fairly early in the movie. And it's stated that six billion lives were lost. I mean, it's, um, yeah, it's essentially like Earth today, got, yeah. would, or at the time of this making, would get destroyed. Like, yeah. That's some dark shit. Uh, Vulcan, and they say it as well, is obviously a very peaceful planet. They are kind of, you know, uh, taking action and violence as a last resort. <laughs> So kind of just demolishing them all together. One of the worst crimes you could probably think of in this universe. And they do that pretty early on. Also, uh, I mean, the opening scene too, they have the iconic shot of, uh, you know, the Enterprise getting blown open and people just flying out into dead space. Um, So a lot darker than I think you'd really see in any of those original Star Trek movies. 
or even next generation i mean you have some borg stuff in there that can get kind of you know dark picard getting turned into stuff but for the most part like this movie's edgy it's modern it's for, <laughs> it's for the youngins in 2000 to, uh 2009 2010 you know so i think it's kind of definitely the demographic it is pointed at is 100 percent different so it doesn't surprise me uh your, your mom is not a massive fan of this yeah i'll throw it over to you though I, i'm very very interested in your thoughts on this I have seen some Star Trek because, you know, my mom would watch it. So it would be on. And like, I think the general vibe and the the thing that would probably like most people would say is like Star Trek is the more nerdy, sciencey, like logic. I mean, Spock as a character is obviously purely based in logic and the whole Vulcan ideology is about logic. But like Star Trek as a whole is more about like outsmarting and outwitting and coming up with like peaceful solutions and like, diplomatic solutions rather than just full-fledged like space battles that you see more in like star wars and in this movie particularly i mean the opening of this movie like you said is just like the fucking uh romulan ship comes out of the the lightning storm and just absolutely destroys like rains hellfire uh down on uh daddy kirk and in the crew (laughs) (laughs) shout out chris hemsworth of course but yeah, I mean, this is basically a Star Wars movie, I would say. This is by far the most Star Wars, Star Trek movie. And like you said, I mean, <laughs> the, the Federation, it's like a peacekeeping organization. Like, you don't see anything like this in, in most of the shows, just because most of the shows are like political stuff. It's not really action-based. So it is 100% a turn for the franchise, but I think J.J. Abrams really knew what he was doing here, and that's just auditioning for a Star Wars movie. Then he also made the franchise really cool. But I think that's the problem with some of the sequels too, is they try to do the similar thing where it's just nonstop action. It's like, where do you go from here? Yeah. yeah. And that's just not really the franchise. I think this is a great one-off sort of spin-off reboot movie. Obviously with the whole alternate universe, it, it's really whacked up, but it allows itself just in this certain scenario, which will definitely never happen again. Of somebody, you know, traveling through time and affecting the past to kind of go crazy actiony, which I think is a cool choice, but yeah, the, the sequels, I think, try to do the same thing, but really don't come up with a good scenario where that would be allowed in this universe. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, this is interesting. You mentioned this being kind of a reboot, or like it is a reboot, but it's also like almost more in the vein of like what we call like a legacy sequel today than yeah. anything, because you have the return of Leonard Nimoy playing this original version of Spock, Spock Prime. And this is existing in an alternate timeline where, you know, different things happen to these characters. So maybe that, you know, kind of makes sense. This is a bit of a darker world where Captain Kirk's father would have got like brutally murdered at a young age and like the Federation approaches things differently. And kind of the whole ideal of like what this universe is like is has been changed maybe a little bit. And they try to explain the whole alternate timeline thing as well. Uh, it's a little wordy uh, on this rewatch. I mean, some of the dialogue is, it's not the best. I'll definitely admit that. But yeah, kind of just some exposition dumps here and there. Another thing I wanted to mention too, I think the the modern cast is actually really great, especially in hindsight. Chris Pine's okay. I would say this is probably Chris Pine's best movie that I've seen. Um, I don't think he's in a ton of great stuff. I mean, Wonder Woman, obviously, he's the love interest. But yeah, like... He's a side. He's a guy. That's not really a Chris Pratt. I mean, a Chris Pine movie. There's too many Chris's in Hollywood as well. So I just forget about him too much. And then Zachary Quinto, he's a good Spock. Obviously, not the best actor today, but the side characters are great. Zoe Saldana, John Cho, Simon Pegg, uh, the Chekhov, who is uh, you know passed away unfortunately, but 
all the side people i really really loved kind of just the casting choices even the uh, winona Ryder as his mom and uh of course tyler perry too uh you know great side cast the deeper the cuts probably the worse it gets but i really like the original series crew kind of rebooting just because those characters in the shows and the movies weren't as interesting like uhura and the helmsman like I don't really care about Sulu or, or Chekhov, but I think in this movie they do add a lot to the story and, and character-wise as well. So I like the the modern kind of recast of everybody a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think they did a great job picking, like even when your cameo dead guy, like dead father who gets killed in the yeah. first five minutes is fucking Chris Hemsworth before he becomes Thor. Like you did a pretty good job of, of scouting out people. And obviously this is the same year that Avatar comes out. So like Zoe Saldana is... In, like yeah. in the biggest movie of all time, just in you know six short months or whatever. But yeah, I think it's a really solid cast. Obviously like Quinto, like you said, is, is more of a character actor, but I think that's what you need for Spock in this case, for sure. Yeah. And I forgot to mention Carl Urban, who is one of my personal favorites as well. Bones, man. Bones is such a boring character in the original series. <laughs> and he's such a Southern, just idiot in this movie. Uh, love it. Great casting all, all the way around, I would say. That's the that's the gist of my initial thoughts. One last thing I wanted to bring up too. This movie's like a tight two-hour film, which I feel like does not exist a ton anymore in Hollywood these days, especially in like the sci-fi action genre. Everything these days has got to be, you know, oh, it's got to be at least two and a half hours. It's probably three and a half with, you know, whoever's directing, uh, you know, if they're high prestige director, it's going to be four hours long. I like the two hours. <laughs> Keep it short. Keep it simple. Give me a tight script and uh, I'll be happy, but... I, I'm honestly surprised it was only two hours because obviously I've seen it a bunch, but I remember it kind of being longer just because I think it, there are a lot of memorable scenes. But yeah, give me shorter movies, dude. I, I'm that guy. I don't want to sit in the theater all fucking day. I agree. I think the runtime is solid. However, I don't, we're going to get into it in the bad in a little bit, but I don't <laughs> think the pacing of this movie is the best. I think the way it's laid out is a little weird and interesting and the time of their lives in which they choose to like place. I, I don't know. There's just a lot of questions that I have. And it almost feels like nothing happens in the two hours at the same time. Like, I don't know. We'll get into it. Let's talk about the trailer. trailer talk um we actually chose the teaser trailer this time or i chose the teaser trailer um because okay. i think it's kind of interesting it's it's not really a, a, anything about like what's going to happen in the movie or plot wise it's really just highlighting this big new cgi enterprise that they've got rocking for the movie so uh what do you think about this teaser trailer uh i think it's pretty lame honestly <laughs> i mean obviously it's just teaser i feel like they're trying to do fan service 
but it's just like weird electrical shots that aren't in the movie welders just <laughs> going to work they literally i i so i, I a little bit of background here it, this played before cloverfield in like 2008 in theaters nice. um when it was first released jj abrams directed some of the shots himself of the trailer um and they hired like real welders to like come in and just do some welding and then they you know obviously digitally put the fucking enterprise there that's interesting i wonder how much they got paid now or just to just to weld some stuff on camera and look cool but that is interesting um also they use like moon landing audio like neil armstrong audio yeah so it's like a mix of the original actors a little bit i mean you get some spock in there but then also uh like you said moon landing stuff uh spock says space the final frontier <laughs> These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously just the classic quote from the Star Trek shows, but yeah, kind of just really weirdly cut. And um, I don't really like it, honestly. Maybe, I don't know when this was shot, obviously. I feel like maybe they were in like the middle of some rewrites and didn't have any footage or something, but or just like super well, early. This is like, yeah, this is like very early. Yeah, like uh, they're probably still in production, maybe like shooting stuff as this comes out. Um, I do, I do like the line, Cody. At the end of the trailer, it goes, under construction summer 2009 that's a that's a pretty sick draw i, I like that yeah i like the wordplay there uh, um overall though i'm really not a big fan of steve <laughs> um i think they could have done a lot better just do anything with like spock and uh and uh, kirk i i keep wanting to call him picard for some reason that that is my captain but yeah just show me some like just show me like a behind shot with like spock's ears or something and, and that would be fine enough i think but it's kind of lame I, i'm not gonna lie I respect it. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We start with the good stuff. Um, I think all of the action space stuff is extremely well done. There's a reason, like you said, that this is basically a Star Wars tryout and it got J.J. Abrams the job. He literally directed The Force of Reikens and unfortunately, The Rise of Skywalker because of this movie. He got to helm and executive produce the entire series again, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, he works with ILM in this. He's using completely computer generated effects. There's no miniatures like they used in the original series. And I think it is relatively effective in, in what they do. I'm do you think these action scenes are, are good? I think it's definitely a good looking movie. And um, there is some like quick cutting with like hand to hand combat. I really like the kind of shoot 'em up uh, style that it has a little bit, especially when like uh, Kirk and Spock uh, go over to uh, Nero's ship and kind of have a, a little mini just two uh, v you know twenty shoot 'em up. I think that's a fun scene. Um, everything in like space battles, I think is good. The opening scene visually is very, very good. That's probably one of the better just battle scenes in the entire movie, but yeah, visually, I, I think JJ knows what he's doing for the most part, um, on a visual standpoint, maybe some story stuff that we'll get into later that maybe he's not the best on, but yeah, I think the visual stuff, there's so many just like beautiful shots in this movie as well. I think the camera work is underrated and, uh, just keep moving forward with my goods. The most underrated thing I think in this movie it's the music, dude. It is ridiculously good. Shout out to uh, Michael Giacchino for an absolute masterclass. That dude is just becoming, I. the more and more I learn about him, he's becoming one of my more favorite people in Hollywood. So I want him to uh, do more Star Trek movies in the future for I sure. I think but... he said, I think he even talked about how like he was such a big fan and like he was really nervous about screwing this up. Like this like meant a lot to him to get it right. Um, and, and I think the first time you see the Enterprise and you hear the fucking music playing, like it is, it is really effective and it is good. It's, it's top tier shit. Especially for a Star Trek uh, fan like myself, 
I eat that shit up every time I hear it as well. So and, yeah, and to do it to me, who doesn't have a connection to like those musical stings or those ideas and, and really a wider audience doesn't have that. Like Star Trek music is not necessarily known for being incredible, right? It, it hasn't expanded beyond the culture. Like everybody knows Star Wars music. Everybody knows even like the Marvel themes at this point. But I wouldn't say like Star Trek music has expanded beyond its fans 100 percent, but i think it deserves to mad underrated but yeah it, it's not on that level for sure but g kino is awesome in this some other stuff i mean we already have been talking about a little bit but the opening scene i think is very very good chris hemsworth is awesome kind of just in this tiny role and it really sets up characters well too i think obviously like you know kirk's gonna have a chip on his shoulder from this but also kind of setting up nero it's just this you know guy with a massive fucking ship the ship design, the red matter, like all the all the Romulan stuff is very well done aesthetically. It's yeah. So cool. And the the ship just gets absolutely obliterated as well. So you know, like they mean business weapons wise as well. It really sets up, you know, an, an intimidating and you know, gonna be an impossible to beat villain as well, which I like too. Um, but past that, kind of moving directly in that too, the setup of Kirk uh, when he's a kid, that little mini scene. I really like that too. I don't know. <laughs> I definitely want to hear your thoughts on that. Like the acting is not maybe the best, but I love the part when uh, they play sabotage by the yeah, Beastie Boys. <laughs> the kid yells at the same time in the song. I think that's hilarious. Um, and the kid also definitely dies in that sequence where he like chucks his stepdad's car off, you know, this massive canyon. So just crazy unrealistic, but I think it it sets up his character as well as kind of just being like this cool rebel because. Like, Jim Kirk, I don't know, he's kind of a boring character, I feel like. He doesn't have much going for him. In this movie, he really hits hard. Uh, you know, he's a bad boy, you know. that That's pretty much the only thing he's got going for him. But his relationship with Spock, I think, is where the character development really comes in, obviously. But I think that was a good setup, just because we don't really get anything other character-wise from uh, Jim Kirk. Yeah, that's for sure. I don't love the kid stuff <laughs> again we're jumping ahead to the bad but like yeah, it bad. gets into like the weird pacing thing for me it's like why do we need this scene we'll talk about sabotage um the thing that i do like about that in general and kind of the story structure of this movie as a whole is it is kind of smart in the way that it like does a setup and a callback and like a return so like it happens a couple times throughout the movie early on you've got like carl urban being all fucking scared of going into space he's like i'm gonna puke on you and then later you get a fun little callback of like chris prine having the vaccine or whatever and he tells carl urban oh i'm gonna puke on you and like it's kind of dumb because it's like literally 40 minutes into the movie they're making the second reference to it so it's like you haven't had a ton of time to build up these relationships with these characters but it's an attempt at establishing a a relationship and an interest early on in the movie that then you can like understand things that are happening later on which i think is effective and that's like how you create a story that's cohesive and interesting and like draws you in um and then the the stuff with like him like you said like him falling off the edge of the cliff is again like a callback to him being on like the romulan ship later and, and hanging over the edge of the cliff and then also they do a good job of establishing like the beaming up that, that whole like the science behind that stuff so you've got them like falling through the sky and they're like oh we can't beam them up because they're moving and then a couple seconds later fucking rips fox mom she falls off the cliff and it's like you instantly understand oh shit like they're not going to be able to get her um at all so i think it does a good job of like set up and pay off throughout the movie um even if i don't necessarily agree with a lot of the story choices <laughs> fair uh yeah i like the comics as well 
And yeah, Winona Ryder. I don't. I don't really know why she's in this movie. I'm gonna be it's honest. Too I too did not realize that was Winona Ryder. <laughs> Serious? That's awesome. I don't think I was paying yeah. attention. I'm definitely gonna bring her up uh, a little bit more in the bad, but yeah, how did you not know that's Winona Ryder? Uh, Stranger Things legend, dude. Come on. Well, uh, yeah, of course. Beetlejuice legend. She wasn't working much those days, so it's not surprising. But past that, a couple other small things I really like. My favorite sequence is probably the ending, uh, where they're trying to escape the black hole and they eject the core. I just think visually that looks really cool of them kind of emerging out of this mass in front of me. Yeah, that is yeah. that is a sick shot for sure. Yeah, definitely could be. Uh, I was thinking about using that one for my background, but uh, decided on a different one. Uh, and then lastly, you brought him up already, but I think the Leonard Nimoy cameo is actually really good. He's only in it for like ten minutes too, but he's committed, man. Like he is in full Spock mode. I think he's. Better and than kind Zachary of Quinto. acting circles around Chris Pine and oh, everyone yeah. around him. Yeah. I think he's much better than Zachary Quinto in this movie, um, which says a lot about Leonard Nimoy, RIP, obviously. But uh, yeah, the kind of cave scene where he's uh, talking to Chris Pine about how they were such good friends and stuff. And then even like the little flashback stuff that we saw too, I thought was super interesting. And, and definitely, you know, at, at least you got some information on why Nero was doing that as well. I feel like that's a big mystery in the first act. You're like, what is this guy's problem? Like, I don't even understand. He's from the future. Why is he all mad? But yeah, Spock, old Spock, I think is, is the best Spock in this movie. So shout out Leonard. Yeah, for sure. Um, did you have any other good stuff or you ready to move on to the bad? That's pretty much it. I am excited to hear the bad. I think I want uh, to kick it off for you to start. I do have a few things here, but there are some obvious bads. I think in this movie for sure. All right. So my first thing, and this is like my number one problem with the rise of Skywalker I don't think J.J. Abrams can do stakes. Like, I realize a whole planet dies in this movie, but beyond, like, <laughs> you don't yeah. feel like anything bad is going to happen or that really the characters are ever in any sort of trouble at any point. Like, you just think, like, and I get, like, there are heroes and we know they're going to succeed, but, like, there has to be some sort of force that seems strong enough that they're actually going to lose and there has to be some sort of loss. And yes, <laughs> fucking Spock's mom dies, Rip Winona Ryder, but, like, we don't care about that character. We barely give a shit about Zachary kind of Spock. Cause he's like the worst version of the character that we've ever seen. Right. Like he's an asshole. So yeah, I just don't think JJ builds any stakes out. It's a lot of just like happenstance coincidence. Like, Oh shit. Yeah. Old Spock's on this cold planet. And he saves him from the red Demogorgon and, you know, like, explains how everything happened and even like the Carl Urban and sneaking him onto the enterprise, like every moment step of the way, it's like they have the right solution and it just seems a little bit too easy throughout. I agree uh, on some things there. I think there's definitely some bad setups hundred uh, percent like Kirk getting on the enterprise because uh, you know, bone just in injects him with some disease or something. That's stupid. And then yeah, Spock character wise is kind of a dick as well for the first half of the film. And then he kind of changes on an instant, kind of going into the third act for no reason, too, even though Kirk just, uh, you know, was a real dick to him. And, and then like the next scene, they're best buds, which is really weird. Um, and then, yeah, as well, Kirk just getting ejected from uh, the Enterprise. It's kind of a terrible, terrible move. Like, uh, you're just going to dish this guy in the middle of probably everyone dying anyways. Yeah. Kind of strange. And of course, oh, old Spock's there to save him, blah, blah. Big big time old Spock uh, Deus Ex Machina on that ice planet. Hey, it's been a while, Cody, but you had to, you had to bring <laughs> it back for the birthday. This movie brought it back a couple times. Um, and another one is uh, Scotty being on the ice planet as well. And the oh, you know, of course, Leonard Nimoy knows the and guy the, who came up with the equation in the future, yeah. but it doesn't even really matter because you don't need him because 
Spock yeah. knows it anyways. I, you know. There's no reason for Scotty to even go with him back to the Enterprise other than he's a, a main character in the original series. And also that uh, equation of like trans uh, planet uh, sort of teleporting like that too. That's a new concept that has never been touched before until this uh, movie in the Star Trek franchise. So there were some fans that I know are like, what the hell is this? And it comes up in the next movie as well. And it's even uh, used worse. So not a great creation there from JJ, but I agree. I think story-wise there are some uh, weak spots. I think there are stakes though. I mean, like just the opening scene introduces those stakes. I don't know. They capture, you know, Captain Pike and uh, they take a bug down his throat. So, I mean, this guy's pretty much unstoppable. And then he becomes Admiral at the end of the movie. He's fine. Like, (laughs) yes, the guy we meet in the opening scene that literally we've never even heard about, like, oh shit, Kirk's father, sick, uh, is going to die. Cool. Like, yeah, there's some stakes for you, Cody. I think there is stakes. I think uh, you're definitely mistaken on that. But I have a lot of bad things I want to throw into the conversation here. First off, I definitely want to hear your opinion on this, but... What do you think about the lens flares? Uh, Dude. They gave them staple, but I think it's a bit overkill. They're sitting in that fucking cockpit, and it is fucking blinding. Every direction, there's a lens flare coming at you. It's insane. Um, I think it's really cool. They shot a lot of this, like, in real sets, on location. It's not, like, blue screens. Like, they built these, like, the bridge, this, the bridge and everything. Yeah. But the lens flares are ridiculous. The lens flares and the nauseating camera movements. Like every time they go down a hallway, it's like it's like they're on a, a boat, not like like they're on a ship ship, not a spaceship. And yeah. like there's some times when it works, and there's some cool Dutch angles that he uses to kind of like show like like when uh Chris Pine first takes the captain's seat, there's a cool shot of him, but like it's way overused throughout the film. I agree. I think there are some definitely interesting shots, but like you said, the shaky camera can get really bad at times and the lens flares are just ridiculous. Like it's not necessary and it doesn't make it look better. Like it definitely makes it look worse. So (laughs) I don't really understand the choices there, but yeah, that's the big thing visually for me. Some other just weird actors in the movie. I already mentioned them, but Winona Ryder in this time, it's really not working at all. Obviously I think the only thing I really know her from is Beetlejuice and then of course, Stranger Things. I think she's pretty bad in this movie. But uh, the other actor I wanted to bring up as well, who I think is very bad in this movie, uh, is Tyler Perry. Um, who of wanted to talk was, about him. <laughs> yeah, he was in our inaugural episode of Gone Girl, of course, and I was a big fan of his. I was not a fan of his at all in this film. But yeah, what did you think about his inclusion? Now, I didn't do any research. My guess is he's in this because he's a Star Trek fan. Like, that's got to be the thing, right? Because he's friends with JJ. It's yeah. like a weird role for him to play. Like, I feel like, you know, we talked about how great he is in that Gone Girl episode. And I almost just think it's because, like, they gave him, like, a nothing part where he has, like, no charisma or charm. Like, he doesn't get to do Tyler Perry at all. That's the cool thing about the lawyer. It's like, yes, he's not Tyler Perry Perry, but he's still, like, oozing charm in the same way that, like, a comedian can, you know, grab your attention. Whereas in this, he's, like, this stickler government guy who just (laughs) fucking sucks. Come on, JJ. He's a terrible character, too, because obviously at the beginning, he's like, all right, Kirk, you're on suspension indefinitely. And then at the end of the movie, he's like, oh, just kidding. You get your own shifts. <laughs> like, like he has no uh, sort of power behind out the character either. It's kind of just like, oh, whatever they tell me to do, I'm going to do for this guy. So I guess we can just talk about the pacing here. Okay, so mm-hmm. movie opens. Kirk's dad dies. Boom. Flash forward. What, how many years is it? Like nine years or something? I don't know. He's a kid, right? So he flash yeah. forward to him as a kid. Then we see Spock as a kid where he's spitting young Sheldon bars in a little 
pod just to, so you know he's smart smart they're cutting around you know he doesn't have to finish any sentences but he's saying oh pi r squared times three and then uh, radius and then we jump to old spock and then we jump back to old kirk and he's doing his like inter oh. he's fighting at the bar and then he gets sent off to starfleet academy and then we skip yeah. ahead to the end of starfleet academy and then he's doing this test oh, and then gosh, right ooh. Then right when he's, you know, facing his disciplinary hearing is when the distress signal happens and then they have to go and leave. So like the, the original conception for this movie was that they were going to do like a younger version of the characters, but it was going to be focused on the Starfleet Academy time. And I almost yeah. think that would be a lot more interesting. If, if we're going to do a young character version, let's see them actually go through school. Like, let's do that. Let's not show the beginning and the end of it and then have them like instantly jump off into space and now he's a fucking captain like because yeah. pike makes him first officer and then he gets himself killed like i yeah pike uh he kind of makes him first officer for no reason that's kind of just a weird uh right in there i agree on some things uh i mean it is pretty much just exposition dumping for the first i don't know i mean the opening scene is cool and then like you said like the next probably 15 20 minutes is just straight exposition dump set up the characters a little bit, get a sense of them in the Academy a tiny bit, but not really. But that's where we kind of uh, venture off. <laughs> and it also makes sense that the, the fleet's not there. Like, why are they sending the Academy people um, on this unbelievably dangerous mission that says the fleet is like caught up in some other system? Complete bullshit. Like, that makes no sense. I kind of like throwing these characters just straight into the deep end off the bat. It's kind of a thing where you know where it's going to end up. Like, it's kind of a prequel in a sense. Like, you know Kirk is going to be the captain and Spock's going to be the first officer. Well, wouldn't it be so much cooler that it's, like, actually building to that instead of an hour into the movie, you, like, instantly see how it's going to happen? Like, it'd be so much cooler of, like, well, okay, you've reached the end of this movie and, like, you've proven yourself that, like, you deserve this role. And, like, I don't know. It doesn't – it's kind of like he's handed it and then he has to prove it, which is stupid. Yeah, that is fair. Um, but Pike's but, been holding uh, his hand the entire fucking time. I mean, he got him into Starfleet, so. <laughs> True. Shout out Captain Pike. That guy's a G. Admiral. Admiral Cody. <laughs> He's an Admiral. Thank you. At for the trying. end of this. <laughs> True. You have been relieved. But yeah, I mean, I, I kind of agree with that. It's kind of the thing where in the sequel, they try and venture off from the original uh, series timeline where they do the thing where they kill off uh, Kirk instead of you know spock who sacrifices himself and i don't think that really works so i think uh they should have just stuck to this movie where you know exactly what the ending is going to be and then they do exactly what the ending is going to be so yeah I, that is understandable i feel like on a rewatch i kind of just don't care about plot threads too much anymore either and i have seen it like 15 times so that's probably why i didn't think too much about uh that stuff specifically but definitely relevant i think to bring up do you think carl Ab urban's accent is good in this movie cody <laughs> uh i would say yeah i think it's probably the best accent work in the film i don't love uh simon Pegg's accent work if i'm being completely honest but uh i think carl urban's a strong great good old southern boy it's it's not the best i would say <laughs> i mean obviously you know you've got character things or whatever to play into but like i don't know just let fucking carl urban do his like australian accent you know Stop trying to make him be a weird Kentucky boy. <laughs> yeah, bull, uh, the boy Carl Urban. I think that would elevate this film for sure. I think Carl Urban's a great actor, though. I think he, he makes up for it, even if maybe the accent doesn't fit him. And you're probably just saying that because 
like his Australian accent so much. So. Well, it's I just hate the Kentucky. I just think it's bad. <laughs> I, I just it's, it doesn't sound good. It, they should have gotten someone else. Like, don't hire a Brit to do a. I don't know. Yeah, fair. I mean, his jobs opening... away from Southerners. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> they took good jobs, but uh, yeah, I think maybe the opening scene with him is it, it's definitely a little shaky. I, I think he kind of loses a little bit as the movie goes along. But yeah, that's true. They tr- he tries to lay it on heavier when they first meet. Yeah, him like yelling at Spock and stuff, I think, is good Good Carl Urban work. Two other kind of just small plot points of kind of ripping off other movies possibly or other movies ripping this off. And and I feel like I've talked about this a few times on the podcast, but the whole Jurassic Park ripoff of like, oh, there's an animal who's about to come and eat somebody. And then a bigger animal comes out of nowhere and snags them right before. Obviously, I th- that was done in the original Jurassic Park, one of the sequels, I believe. And then, of course, it was done in Jurassic World, which is a lot more memorable with Shamu coming out of nowhere to take out a... Well, because the T-Rex comes and eats the uh, Velociraptor in the first Jurassic Park. Is what yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. It, it, it all gets so jumbled up just because of these stupid Jurassic World uh, sequels of who's eating who. But yeah, so I guess it's a Jurassic Park ripoff more than anything else. And then the second scene um, that uh, I believe The Force Awakens ripped off, Star Wars, J.J. ripping off himself here a little bit. That kind of so the scene where Kirk is uh, on Nero's ship and uh, he's hanging off the edge again, obviously, and then the guy holds him up like an idiot and he steals his gun and shoots him. There's that kind of cool shot of the dead guy kind of floating back, and it really reminds me of the Han Solo death uh, in The Force Awakens. Kind of just like, oh, this guy's in a massive structure and you know he gets killed and then he just tumbles to his death. I think well, nobody cool nobody does tumbling to their death like Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> that is true um and i'm sure that's ripped off from a ton of stuff before too but i just feel like jj copying himself is, is kind of uh, not the best look especially in hindsight is this one of the lamest iterations of time travel ever <laughs> <laughs> no i don't think so why do you say that to me it's just like you could have done some more cool stuff with time travel and this seems like a pretty cut and dry like very simplistic yeah, yeah it's easy to understand view of it and you know they just didn't want to take any risks cody you want it to be more complicated <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> it's i guess there's a, tw- there's a little 25 year gap that that's a little complexity to it yeah yeah that is true i feel like it's already kind of complicated if i'm being honest but star trek fans are pretty smart i feel like so they could have gone out there and, and definitely done a little bit more maybe but the thing is i wish there were i guess like it's kind of a mid-movie twist that leonard nimoy's in it i'm sure he was in the marketing and everything it's like you knew it was right i, I don't know yeah I would, I would think so you would yeah. know he's gonna be in the movie but like I almost wish there was another, like something else that is like a bigger twist or something else. Because if you're going to have time travel, like you have the opportunity to then go out and do more and have more fun with stuff like that. That's just me. I actually agree. And uh, my post-credit scene maybe will lead into that a little bit. So yeah, I I like the thought. The last bad thing I I did want to talk, sabotage, the use of sabotage in that scene is fine and honestly in 2009 it probably played a lot better but like the beastie boys have been fucking giving their music out to every movie that's been released in the last year year and a half so like we talked about it guardians of the galaxy has no sleep till brooklyn in it so does super mario brothers two movies that released with like two months of each other fucking sabotage appeared in the minions movie red notice kimmy like three movies all released within the last year um yeah i don't know the beastie boys are really uh you know, just signing the rights away to their songs as of lately. I guess they need a little cash. 
Yeah, <laughs> they maybe burned a little bit too much of the tour money uh, over the years, but yeah, I, I think it's kind of smart from them. Like, you might as well try and get every movie possible just for your kind of brand name. I do, I do see here that they bring Sabotage back for Star Trek Beyond. So that is I'm what looking, I was going to say. To that. They, they, it was uh, in the trailer primarily a lot, and it was used as a very important plot device as well. It was something they like put on the speakers. It, it was whole like nanotechnology or some shit. I don't even know. But the the frequency that the song releases kind of like uh you know helped inhibit the uh the nanotechnology or something. So they use it big time in Beyond, which is probably a lot better than in the darkness, but still not the best. My only other thing is like, why are they listening to music that's like 120 years old? Like, why is he listening to sabotage when it's true, you know, two thousand two hundred or whatever year it is? <laughs> It's kind of a deeper music question too. Like, what is music going to be like? Well, because like they play like the, they have a little bit of a more interesting song playing when they go to the, the bar. Like, yeah. I think that's a little bit more out there. Like, sounds like it could be from the future where it's like sabotage. Like, what the fuck is this? Is this the kind of music they're making in, in the future? I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Is it a throwback? Like, because the <laughs> thing is, I was going to say it, it isn't actually playing in that scene. But now that you're telling me it appears diegetically in Star Trek Beyond, it is a clearly a real song in universe. I I don't know. Yeah, that is true. Is it really playing on uh, Lil Kid Kirk's radio? I didn't really. I, I, my vibe was just that it was more a soundtrack to the scene rather yeah. than being there. I think it might but, be though. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's an interesting question of why that song would be on the radio if it is on the radio, or why he would be playing it regardless. <laughs> Maybe his step, his dick stepdad was a big. Uh, a big big fan for some reason but maybe a little bit of plot hole there too so i'll give you that one <laughs> let's talk about the ugly cody what what do you got for this man i got a couple things um first off i mean i already mentioned kind of but the jokes about uh spock's mom are pretty tough <laughs> and um i mean uh the kid at the beginning definitely deserved to get his ass kicked i'd say uh pretty unwarranted stuff there and then also kirk yeah the instigation um leading up to the third act to uh take control the ship that's literally the only motivation too so he's just being a complete asshole uh pretty brutal i guess spock tells him to do it though so i guess he has a free pass an older version of him told him to be a dick to him i guess old spock permission does make it a little bit better but attractive that uh he never loved his mother and he definitely knows like he has emotions and stuff so it's pretty tough and then they're best friends the next scene for for no reason but that was the big one the other obviously thing is uh, this movie well does it pass the bechdel test there's only like two or three female characters but they do share one scene together i guess they are talking about a a transmission a little bit but most of it is centered around like guys and stuff so i don't really think that counts maybe there's like one piece of dialogue each side where the green girl's like uh what do you what was the transmission about and she's like oh i'm so worried or something like that but i definitely don't think that qualifies to pass the bechdel test this says it does yeah according to this Zoe Saldana walks in. And Uhura says, and her roommate, Galia, briefly discuss Uhura's lab time and her interception of the Klingon transition. It's brief, but necessary to the plot. Somebody disagrees, though. They think it's yeah. uh, it's too short. And uh, yeah. And like Kirk is also there under the bed. Like he's kind a, of there. It's a scene so, yeah. about Kirk. That's like background yeah. stock footage, basically. Basically, yeah. So, yeah. But it is kind it. of important information. It is like very vital, it <laughs> but it not. It's weird. Uh, but the thing is, as well, she just comes in and says, like, oh, there was this crazy transmission. And then her roommate says something else, like, oh, what was it about? And then she doesn't answer the question. Yeah, though. she's like, 
Well, it, what's up with the dude under your bed or whatever? The mouth yeah. breather. Who's the mouth breather? Yeah. Another yeah. great Stranger Things line. Shout out. But yeah. They stole what's everything. That? They stole Winona and they stole the line. <laughs> My big thing, it's just kind of a weird joke where like Chris Pine's in his bar fight or whatever and he like gets pushed into Zoe Saldana and just grabs her boobs <laughs> like for no reason. Like what the hell? Like I forgot really that. strange. <laughs> yeah. And then she just like pushes him. And it's just like one of those things where it's like, a weird 2009 joke that they have to put in this movie. Um, do you think this movie's funny, Cody? Well, I don't know. Maybe there's some lines here and there. Because there's like, not. Anton Yelchin's character, the Russian guy, makes, he does like the the Victor, okay. Victor, the Victor, Victor joke. So that's there's like that. Yeah. That's and then there's funny. like him grabbing Zoe's held out his boobs. That's not very funny. <laughs> Carl Urban being scared of flying and joining a space academy. Like, yeah, I don't know. Not a lot of great jokes. Simon Pegg has uh, a lot of uh, comedic value, I'd say, to this movie. His kind of just random lines of being like, oh, uh, can I have a towel? <laughs> like, just Yeah, random. I mean, Simon like, Pegg is always funny, right? It's like he can say anything and it'll probably yeah. make you laugh. He has some tension breakers, but yeah, I agree. I, I uh, kind of forgot that scene was even in the movie. It's obviously very early on, but yeah, definitely unwarranted there. Um, I think if they did like a re-release, just just cut that entirely because the bar fight's okay. I like the the cupcake line with the one guy, but yeah, him like hitting on uh, Zoe Saldana at the beginning too is kind of just unnecessary, I feel like. Well, and it's also weird because then like Pike just shows up and it's like, was he at the bar or did he like walk in on? Like, I, it, it's a little confusing about what his presence there. And he's like, everybody get out. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> uh strange um genocide also pretty ugly <laughs> there is a whole planet yeah. that's killed as we've mentioned i guess obviously the romulans die in in the explosion of the star and then they go back and, and murder everybody because of that eric banna as uh his performance is kind of ugly in this movie i would say we have not talked about him awesome he's basically playing uh malekith the dark elf from thor the dark world <laughs> him and christopher eccleston doing some similar things there's also a great scene in this where he literally just explains his entire plan to Captain Pike as he's classic. sticking the bug down his throat, which is, you know, like you said, a, a classic trope. But I'm not a huge fan of him in this. Yeah, I agree. One of my um, initial thoughts when I started watching the movie again, uh, one of my, my first thing I put in my notes was like, uh, Eric Bana is really good. And then as the movie... Uh, he does start off good. He does start off good. The first scene is nice. Yeah, the first scene's good. There's some specific lines of his I do like, but yeah, I'd say overall he's really not great in this movie uh, on my 15-3 watch. I think maybe a little nostalgic uh, goggles on that because I always, in hindsight, I'm always like, oh, Eric Bana is a crazy, awesome villain. Uh, but I think there's just one specific line, which I'll definitely bring up uh, in our Whose Line It Is It Anyways, that I really, really enjoyed. <laughs> I've said on the podcast multiple times, but yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, the look isn't great, I don't think, and uh, the performance is also pretty ugly, so definitely worthy of this category. All right, let's move on to Whose Line Is It Anyways? Welcome to Whose Line Is It Anyway? All right, Cody, since you uh, kind of let the cat out yeah. of the bag, do you want to start? Do you, me, do you want me to kick it off uh, with my line? And uh, by the way, you have to guess who says this, by the way. You're never mm, going to guess Right, it. exactly. But uh and uh, if you're wearing headphones or something, uh, headphone warning. I'm not going to try to yell too loud here, but it could get out of control. Explanation point at the end of this line. Uh, but it's a uh, fire everything. <laughs> I do believe that is uh, the Romulan himself, Nero, the man. The man from the future. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why, but I really, really enjoy that piece of dialogue. Fire everything. He literally screams it at the top of his lungs. 
and maybe the best uh, line delivery I've ever seen in my life. So by far a favorite line of the movie for me. <laughs> I do another one, but I, I'll throw it over to you. See if you can stumble me. I got, I got two for you here. So we'll start easier yeah. here. First one. Are you out of your Vulcan mind? <laughs> Great line as well. That's what I'm talking about. Carl Urban's got the charm, dude. Yeah, that is, of course, uh, Bones McCoy. And of course, that's great because uh, Vulcan, you can kind of substitute for fuck there. So yeah. <laughs> playing with the PG-13 rating for fun. True. I think you could throw in a lot of F-bombs in this movie um, and make it R-rated very, very quickly. But yeah, shout out Carl Urban. Uh, my second line, another one of my favorites, and it's another character we haven't really talked about either. But uh, the line is, uh, get off of there. It's not a climbing frame. Get off of there. It's not a climbing frame. Uh-oh. Uh, We're into the bag for this one. I think this is, it's something, is this in the, uh, is this on the, the ice planet with Scotty and, and whoever the, isn't there another guy there or something? Is it the uh, other guy? <laughs> it's the other guy that's not Scotty? That is correct. Uh, Scotty is the one who says the line. Oh, okay. Which you're kind of circling around. So gotcha. we'll give it yeah. And uh, yeah, he's talking to the little beady-eyed alien guy, who I think is a very underrated character. I don't even—I didn't even look up his name. I'm too lazy, but I think his character is really funny visually. Just like it's—it's it's definitely a practical face too, because you can kind of like see his eyes moving, but it's clearly like a pen or something. They're just sticking in there to look at his eyes. So it's kind of janky puppet work, I think, a little bit there. Yeah, I think it's just a really funny and, and dumb character that's there for no reason. And uh, he's always climbing on shit. So I uh, got got to shout out some some great Scotty lines talking to his to his sidekick. I believe his name is Keenser. Keenser. Yeah, the opening scene of him like running up, running down that really long hallway too. And they're just like, what the hell is going on? Um, I think it's just really great. Yeah, pretty uh, pretty forgettable for sure. I will say this movie... The only Star Trek movie to ever win an Oscar, and it won Best Makeup and Hairstyling. So maybe Keenzer was the uh, the reason behind that. Yeah, he was a big part, I think. Uh, but yeah, I'm actually surprised by that. I guess, was there a bunch of old man Spock makeup, maybe? Or I guess uh, the eyebrows on the Vulcans actually. Yeah, that I guess, I mean, all the Vulcan and uh, Romulan, Romulan stuff. Yeah. Like they've got fair, the ears and all that stuff. Here's my second one for you. And I, this is such a ridiculous quote. <laughs> now, your father was a captain for 12 minutes and saved 800 <laughs> lives. I dare you to do better. <laughs> it really doesn't make any sense, honestly. Like, he just, I guess he, he thinks Kirk's really competitive. So he's going to, he's never going to say no to a dare, I guess. But really juvenile. But that is, uh, I believe he was at the time Captain Pike. Uh, obviously, Admiral now, which you pointed out. But, and um, as well. I think the character's name is a. Uh, I mean, not the character's. Name, the actor's name is Bruce Greenwood. Yes, so I Cody. I wanted to bring God. this up. You you said yeah. his name instead of Bruce Campbell, and the reason <laughs> Bruce Greenwood. Yeah, um, that's great. Yeah, the thing the thing about this line, like if you do the math, like is is, is it like does he have to save sixty six people per minute to, and or do better than that to do better than his father? Like I don't like your your dad was captain for twelve minutes and he saved eight hundred yeah. people. So like, it's just such a, like, it's such a dumb thing. He was only captain for 12 minutes. He died. Like, yeah. And also he didn't really do better than that. So I think Pike still wins the bet there. I, I'd say he, a lot of people died. So oh, a yeah. lot of people died. Okay. <laughs> Invite, fight, night. I dump thee. So William. Cody, who do you want to invite on the pod? 
Uh, I got a couple here. Um, my first one, I'm going to say Sulu. I'm going for side characters for the invite here, just because we don't get a, an entire taste of, I think, some really interesting characters. John Cho is also great. I'd love to just have John Cho on the pod in general, but I'd like to talk about his kind of fencing training, how he ended up, you know, using a katana so effectively uh, on some, you know, Robins for the future who, you know, you would think they have like superior weapons and stuff, but I guess not. He also stabbed one straight through the chest, which is pretty dope. So I respect that a lot, but I think he'd be a good one to have on and, and kind of go over some of the, the stuff that wasn't touched on too, because he was on the bridge the entire time. So he had definitely had a good view of it. And the guy that I would want to pair him up with too is Chekhov. Um, I think they have a good chemistry too. Some comedy on both sides. John Cho, obviously at the beginning, uh, couldn't figure out how to warp, uh, which is, you know, I guess that's funny. Not really. And then check off the Victor Victor line that always gets a chuckle from me. So yeah, I was going to ask you like, what's, what, what's the deal with suit? Is that like a reference to something? like what he's just bad. He's just a bad pilot because he's new. Not really. I think it's a plot thing. Um, also that that's his introduction and it's kind of like, Oh, he says his full name. You're like, Ooh, I'm Hikaru Sulu, blah, blah, blah. So it kind of introduces the character in a fun way. And then also it allows Kirk to kind of get to the bridge and be like, we're screwed. Like this is coming. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. So it just sets up like all the entire fleet. It gives them a time that they're going to arrive late. Yeah, that's true. But I think those would be good guys to have on great accent from Chekhov as well. Um, and also Chekhov is really good at uh, sprinting down hallways, which we see from, from multiple characters here, but I think he definitely does it the best. Yeah. Re- rest in peace to that guy. I was yeah. uh, looking up how he passed away and it is uh, really unfortunate it's, what happened to him. Um, Anton sure. Yelchich or Yelchin? Yelchin, I believe. Yelchin. There yeah. it is. Rest yeah. in peace to him. Right. Uh, I believe Beyond was dedicated to both him and uh, Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. Who are you? I, well, first one, I, Leonard Nimoy, old Spock. I think he's the right. coolest of all the characters. Obviously, he's lived for 128 years beyond this movie's existence. He's fucking figured out equations that they didn't even have in the original Star Trek movies. Like this guy's got all the uh, answers that we could need. So definitely old Spock and he's not a dick like young Spock. So, uh, <laughs> and then on top of that, I would also just take Zoe Saldana, just her, not her character. Cause I mean, yeah. one, I mean, she's been in, you know, how many major franchises she's worked with so many incredible directors. She's been, I just feel like there's so many things we could talk to her and ask her about. She is, I mean, she's just been in so many like huge movies. It's crazy. Yeah franchise queen zoe saldana and uh this was one of her early franchises too this is the probably the forgotten zoe saldana franchise so. i mean yeah we were just talking i did not even realize that she was in this movie when we did our <laughs> our trivia podcast episode true how could you forget uh the box office babe but uh yeah love zoe saldana fight cody who do you want to fight i think there's a lot of picks here i went definitely deeper cuts my, my honorable mention here is the cupcake guy. Uh, <laughs> I don't like his face, and I think he definitely could uh, could use a good good. He could have used another uh, appearance in the movie, like he's because he shows up like when he's heading to Starfleet. But I feel like you know at the end of the movie he should have showed up again. Agreed. I think uh, maybe throw him into the kind of the tag team fight that Spock and Kirk went on. I think that'd be fun. Kind of maybe even kill him off. Why not? But the guy I do want to fight does get killed off actually, and it's another scene we actually haven't talked about. It's the free fall scene mm. uh, in the beginning, and it's his name is Olsen. Um, I think the he's red a, suit guy. That's what I was gonna say. He's a throwback, obviously, just because he's a red shirt character, and they have to kill somebody off in the Star Trek franchise. Uh, you know, to set up stakes, like you were talking about, Corbin. Mm, right, this guy that I have never like. Did we see his face before they jumped out of the fucking 
ship uh, or whatever. Like I literally don't like he's just a guy oh, yeah. in a suit who gets <laughs> his parachute sucked into a drill. Yeah, and his name is evidently Olsen, and he waits until I believe it's 10 and he has the charges, so that's not great. <laughs> yeah. Why would you give this idiot the charges as well? But uh, yeah, he just you know jumps off and never decides to pull his parachute really. So pretty much an idiot. He deserved to get decked in the face, I think. Uh, even though he did die, so uh, you know, kind of you know, double him down. But I, I think it's worth it. The good thing is, if they don't have the charges, they can just fucking shoot the drill up. So it's fine. <laughs> Use their love, guns. Love the plot points there. Yeah, great. Uh, great. Very well written scene there. I'd say. Yeah, definitely cool action set piece though. Um, you know, a little fight over a giant drop, basically classic. Um, and the drill looks cool. It is cool. Um, for me, Spock's dad, I mean, listen, I get it. He's a Vulcan. He's got his logic stuff, but he's still, I mean, he's a bad dad at the end of the day, kind of hard on Spock kind of just marries this human woman because he wants to understand people, maybe not the great, you know, set up for a relationship sorry winona um and then the other one is zachary quinto himself <laughs> just because i don't know there's something i don't know i don't like him very much uh, there's just something a little elitist about the way he is when it comes to filmmaking and uh yeah not a huge fan of quinto i back that he's also he's in a bunch of weird pilots that never take off mm. uh, specifically I he's a big tv guy the slap where he slaps a little kid uh, which is great that could be the clip of the week that show the- lasted though didn't it like they did a whole season of it well it probably went viral like the first couple of i i vividly remember the commercials um i never watched it but yeah i do i do remember the slap um yeah. <laughs> i mean 2015 man it was a crazy time on nbc crazy time uh yeah i never watched either but yeah i back those spock's dad definitely a dick especially with you know growing up you know half human half Vulcan in that situation would be pretty tough, I feel like, to grow up in. So not a great fatherhood. Uh, he does at the end, you know, say uh, he, he loved Nona Ryder. I don't know if I necessarily believe him. I think maybe he just says that because it's logical to say at the time. Uh, shout out Vulcans. But yeah, I, I would back that as well. I think the old man deserves a, a good lick in the face too. So yeah, I, I'm with you there. All right, Knight. Who do you want to Knight, Cody? I'm going obscure. I'm not going to pick a character. I'm going to pick the director of this uh, feature oh. film, J.J. Abrams. I think for this movie and this movie alone, he should be knighted. Like we're saying, I mean, this was his direct audition for Star Wars movie. And uh, he created the best Star Wars movie that I've ever seen in my lifetime. Uh, well, no, uh, well, I cut that. I, I didn't mean like that. Released I, in your lifetime? Yeah, sure. Released in my lifetime. Um, I think this is arguably better than uh, The Force Awakens, but I like that movie a lot. I think I'm higher on that movie than a lot of other people. I mean, Jesus Christ, what <laughs> the other two movies obviously aren't even comparable to this so yeah i would say jj you're getting you're getting knighted for this one uh 10 out of 10 movie this is a five-star movie core but i don't know if you're aware <laughs> <laughs> this is like the f- well okay so he he directs mission impossible 3 right and then this is like really his next big movie like he he didn't direct a lot of movies prior to this and he really still hasn't since then i mean you get super eight in 2011 which is a little bit more of his like spielberg attempt and then into darkness force awakens and rise of skywalker like that's it those are the only movies he's directed um it's an okay list i like super eight what would you say is his best film probably the force awakens i would say is his best movie um I, i think i like it well that's the thing i think i like the force awakens better than this movie I mean, I definitely like this movie less than the the Last Jedi. That's for sure. 
Oh, I thought I thought you said the Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, you. I mean, Last Jedi. We won't. <laughs> I mean, come on now. But uh, I think the uh, Force Awakens is definitely comparable. I don't know. It's kind of the same thing too, where it's obviously setting up a universe, which I think he is good at. Uh, the sequels, he is very, very much not good at. So I think this plays into his strengths on that level too. Yeah. You know, it's an, also an interesting thing of like J.J. Abrams is more than anything like a producer like that's what he's made his name doing whether it's executive producing various tv shows or, or movies i mean that's kind of also why they hired him to do star wars beyond making this movie it's like oh well here's a guy who knows how to like run a big project and, and kind of be the face of it but i think the thing that he's always struggled with throughout his career dating all the way back to his first hit lost like he doesn't necessarily know how to end things um, i mean even star trek they've talked about there's plans to do a fourth movie at this point, but that's basically in production hell and has been for the last seven years. I mean, I don't see it happening if I'm being completely honest, just because the cast has gone on to do a lot of bigger and better things too. Uh, obviously like Carl Urban and Zoe Saldana, Simon Pegg, uh, Chris Pine. I don't even know what he's doing today to be fair. Same with Quinto. Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, true. That was a pretty good hit this summer, I guess to be fair. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's definitely, I think this is 100% one of his better movies, but yeah, he's he's not good at kind of following up a good project. And that's the best case of that, I think, is I mean, lost. you said it with this and the force. Like, he's great at starting things. Yeah, yeah that's what that's what he's good at. Um, And people not should ending. just keep him there, right? Like, I don't know. How many times have you seen um The Rise of uh, Skywalker? How many times have you seen that? I've only seen it once. I saw it in theaters twice. So okay. um, that that. maybe you've rewatched it since then. I mean, it came out... It, obviously 2019 so i mean we're almost almost on four years at this point but i definitely saw it in theaters twice um which was probably two times too many yeah <laughs> my night i mean i gotta yeah. give i gotta give love to kirk's dad i mean he does he does save 800 lives in minutes, Cody. I mean, come on <laughs> he's a real hero uh, he's a real hero <laughs> the damn autopilot fails if this was the dark knight rises then it would have been fixed six months in advance and he'd be alive at the end of the movie but luckily it's not and uh he has to sacrifice himself and um yeah it's an emotional moment winona kirk the name of of uh Kirk's mother, you know, is just crying as she's having, holding this baby boy. Okay. That's the other thing. Wait, she's pregnant, right? She's having yeah. the baby. Why is she on this fucking ship having a baby? It's a peaceful mission, dude. This is, uh, but where? Live, they live their normal lives on these uh, spaceships, bro. And then a fucking, uh, you know, gravity storm, lightning storm just came out of nowhere and killed everybody. So, yeah, I don't know. That that's a good question too, but we we don't ask those questions. Setup's a little confusing there. Uh, let's move on to the recast. Bond, James Bond. My name's Bond. James Bond. The name's Bond. James Bond. The name's Bond. James. Bond. I'll start us here. Carl Urban, sorry, you gotta go. We gotta wow. get a man with a real Southern accent. Real. And uh, we've been talking about him a lot recently on the pod because Fast and Furious, of course, is on the brain. So let's <laughs> bring in the man from Tokyo Drift. <laughs> He's like, hey, you know, uh, Justin Lind would go on to make a Star Trek movie. So maybe him and JJ are friends already. He could have given him a suggestion. Hey, go cast Lucas Black for the role of the doctor. <laughs> um that's pretty terrible casting I, I love a lucas black shout out i have some pretty bad casting upcoming as well so i won't say too much but he can do a southern accent i guess kind He's of from black. arkansas so. <laughs> i mean i feel like his accent is really bad in tokyo it's drift, not though. well that's the thing about it being bad in tokyo drift it's like 
because it's so pronounced and ridiculous it seems bad but like it's it's legit so i don't know it's also just because nobody else is doing that in tokyo Drift. Like, yeah it really stands, it stands out, out but... when you're in tokyo <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm sure lucas was available i doubt he was working on any major project at the time so definitely doable uh, i have a couple picks well i mean off the top too i think this movie is it's cast pretty well so i'm not going to go after really any of the heavy hitters First off, I will target uh, Eric Bana uh, in the role of Nero, of course. And uh, I was thinking of someone who maybe doesn't play villains that much, but maybe was given the opportunity once and uh, kind of it was just wasted altogether. What about Christian Bale as Nero? Uh, that really brings another level of intensity, I think, to this film. Gives it maybe a little bit more credibility acting-wise as well, especially, I mean, Eric Bana, he's okay. Like the Hulk and... I don't even know what else he's in. He's not much, I, I feel like, really. But uh, yeah, adding Christian Bale, I think, uh, to this cast would bring it to the next level. So I think that that's my serious casting here. One thing, that movie's called Hulk, not the Hulk. Don't disrespect uh, Ang Lee's masterpiece like that. <laughs> um, and uh, two, I've also got a Thor villain to throw in and to replace uh, Nero. And uh, it's going to be Kate Blanchett. Cody, I, I think we could get a little uh, a female villain action here. Replace yeah. that, dude. I don't know what Eric Ban is doing. I just I don't like it. Um, we need somebody with some real chops, and uh, obviously Oscar winner Kate Blanchett. Maybe not in 2009. She wasn't ready to jump into a franchise like this. I mean, yes, she did Lord of the Rings, but that's kind of a different thing. Um, but I think she'd be really great. If we're not going to get her, maybe Mads Mikkelsen do a little bit of early Star Wars thing. You know, you always hate on him, but he could, he could also pull this off as well. Yeah, he's a pretty great villain in uh, Doctor Strange, right? Yeah, for sure. I guess you say the same thing about Christian Bale, I guess. But, uh, <laughs> I like, I do like Kate Blanchett. I like that a lot. Uh, I think you could definitely gender swap that role as well, and, and no one would care. So, yeah, yeah. young young Kate Blanchett, probably the best actress in, uh, in this movie, too. So, respect. Oh, yeah. My other pick I will throw out there, uh, I wanted to get rid of Tyler Perry just because, I mean, he, he's just pointless in this film, and it, I feel like it's really distracting. What if you uh, made him Nero? I don't hate that. I mean, that's better material for him, for sure. <laughs> I don't know if he's going to nail the fire everything line like Eric Bana, so definitely uh, screen test that specifically. But, uh, yeah, for, for uh, Tyler Perry's role, I was trying to just be in, like, you know, if it's going to be a distracting role anyways, let's just make it ridiculously uh, distracting. So I said, let's throw a young Shaquille O'Neal into this film. <laughs> you know, he was already acting a little bit. He was in, um, I believe it was just called Steel, a great uh, superhero film. And then he was a genie or something and another one too. I think it's called Shazam, actually. Uh, that's off the top Kazam. 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 Well, close enough. Shut out Black Adam. But uh, yeah, I think Shaq would be good in this. And uh, I mean, he's definitely going to be better than Tyler Perry. Uh, so that's pretty much all I'm looking for here. So yeah, bring the big man into the Star Trek universe, I think. He was uh, you know, playing for the Suns at the time. So take a little trip from Phoenix over to Hollywood. You know, he needed the publicity. <laughs> I guess it was more old man Shaq than young it man. It was Shaq. definitely old man Shaq. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take old man Shaq still. That makes sense for the role. <laughs> right before uh, Inside the NBA or whatever the fuck that show's come on. I mean, he's really good on Inside the NBA as well. So yeah. get those chops up. I love it. All right. Rating. Do you like me? Cody, I know you think this is a fucking... <laughs> fantastic movie so what do you give it out of 69 uh i'm going high here um in my notes i have 66 out of 69 i think i'm gonna stick with it dude i don't know if this movie has a spot on my top 10 list of all time i think maybe just for kicks i would put it at 10 but yeah 
I'm a big fan. Everything I said, super positive, obviously. There's definitely some obvious negatives, but I think as a, like you said, off the top of the show, a Trekkie like myself, uh, I'm going to wear the nostalgia goggles for this movie and uh, put it at a 66. I'm sure I would have a greater appreciation for it if, like I cared about it more when I was younger, um, but I just didn't. So to me, like the stuff that doesn't work works even less for me. Um, so I'm going to give it a 44 out of 69, which is a solid little three stars just on the cusp of, of almost being down to two and a half, but yeah. Brutal. I believe also the Rotten Tomatoes is at like a 95% or something crazy. So oh, yeah. I think it's pretty, in general is, is pretty respected. Yeah, you know what we said, Rotten Tomatoes, one of our most trusted sources. <laughs> True. This uh, this movie didn't make our episode on, uh, you know, how Rotten Tomatoes is terrible and wrong. 94%, so. Cody, sorry. Wow. I mean, that is pretty... That <laughs> 91 is pretty... audiences. It is pretty impressive, I will say, for like a, a 2009 blockbuster. I mean, fucking, uh, it's the same as Iron Man, 94, 91. So, and it's the same as The Dark Knight, 94, 94. So, I, I don't know. It's, yeah. This is this is a good film, all right. <laughs> hey Cody, guess what? Uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull has on right. Well, see, that's that's the massive outlier, though. You know, that's probably like 92, 93. 77, So not too. Is it really? But... God, that movie's terrible. <laughs> Shout out Shia LaBeouf. Shout out Indy Five debuted at a fifty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes today, so not great. Um, we won't surely see it rise up a little bit. Let's talk post credit scene. What if I told you we were putting a team together? Who's we? For Star Trek, none of the Star Trek movies have post-credit scenes, which I was a little bit surprised uh, to do a little bit of research about today. So what would you put as the post-credit scene for uh, this movie, Cody? Yeah, I think one of the the main questions from this film is uh, kind of, I guess, does Nero die? What happens to Nero? Where Where is the ship go? I mean, yeah, back what happens in the black hole? Yeah. So that's pretty much my post credit scene. Uh, Nero is coming back out of the second black hole, and uh, there's something waiting for him, Corbin. This is a irony in its you know most iconic form. Jim Kirk is on the other side <laughs> of the black hole. We're getting an old man. I want older. Just like give me more makeup on William Shatner too. Make him as old as physically possible. So I believe Spock was like 120 or 130. I think it, it well, yeah, it's like 128 years in the future he's from or something. Or, yeah. yeah. So Shatner has got to be ancient. Like he shouldn't even be alive, but we're just making him alive <laughs> for the movie. So I want him like in a wheelchair, like completely decked out. And then they open a frequency channel and he's like, where's Spock? And then Nero, he says something stupid about uh, like he, he tried to kill him or something. And then uh, Shatner says the iconic line back to him fire everything <laughs> and, then, and then it comes the black yeah so that's my scene that is really okay. smart i think i mean bringing shatner in would have been a good move like even just especially yeah. for like a little post-credit scene little teaser alternate you know reality stuff i think the idea probably is that he is dead in the world that spock currently lives in oh yeah but, you oh, know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have to return to spock's time it can be you know a, a middle of the and who knows what time it is universe. yeah there you go i like it Maybe What's it's you? maybe it is the Chris Pine version of maybe he returns to the same timeline in the yeah. future and then he's like, Oh, fucking Nero, I finally found you. I'm gonna murder you again. <laughs> Chris um, Pine old man makeup. I like it. Yeah, go, go my black my my postcard scene is basically the same idea. You gotta see what happens on the other side of the black hole. Um nice. my irony, however, is that they return back to right before the sun consumed their planet. And they come out of this black hole and just crash into their fucking planet and kill everybody. 
and it blows up. Wow. A dark <laughs> so ending. it's like they kind of killed, yeah, they went, they returned to their own timeline to which they then murdered their own people again. Mm. Wow. Yeah, he probably wouldn't be too happy about that. So. <laughs> I'd watch it. I'd watch it. I'm on board. Fuck the Romulans. Six <laughs> degrees <laughs> of Dave. This is no respectable establishment. What do you expect us to do while we wait? Cody, we're connecting good old Chris Pine to Dave Bautista in as many degrees as it takes. Cody, how many did it take you today? Yeah, my route today is a little bit suspect. I believe, let me just count it out here, actually. Uh, I believe I took it in six uh, transitions here. So six degrees, whatever, literally, literally six degrees of Dave we're doing today. Shout out. But uh, yeah, not the best, but we're going to go for it here. Chris Pine, obviously, is the lead in this film. Uh, I don't know too many of his movies. I forgot about uh, Dungeons and Dragons. So the first one off the top of my head that I thought of was uh, Unstoppable, which is, of course, a Denzel Washington joint film about a runaway train, uh, which is not the best. But with Denzel, I went a little bit more into the dramas, went straight over to Fences. For one specific reason, I wanted to link up uh, Viola Davis and uh, Matt Damon. So mm. with Viola Davis and that you know combo, obviously they star together in Air, which is a 2023 release. And then with Matt Damon, of course, moving over to the cameo in Thor Ragnarok, and then straight over Chris Hemsworth in Thor Love and Thunder, which obviously Dave Bautista is, is somewhat in. So I, I believe we count that. But also just thinking about it too, like Chris Hemsworth is in Star Trek. So I feel like there's probably a faster connection through that route somewhere. But uh, regardless, we'll, we'll do it in six degrees this time. Well, you know, could you forget, of course, Chris Pine was in Don't Worry Darling, our favorite movie of 2022. So I did forget hit. that. God, yeah. that movie sucked. <laughs> the, the controversy, man. Him and he, remember Harry Styles spit on him. I, I did see that on TikTok. Chris Pine in Wonder Woman with Gal Gadot, who, of course, is in Ooh, one of the greatest movies of all time, Fast Five, so... with Vin Diesel. Who is in the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special? Ooh, I forgot about with that. Dave Bautista. <laughs> nice, obviously much quicker path. Yeah, I just wipe Vin Diesel out of my mind uh, most days. So that's understandable for getting that. Oh yeah, Vin Diesel's always on my mind. So <laughs> fun little connection there. Finally, our recommendations. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. Cody, what have you been into? What have you been watching? Um, I'm behind on everything. So, yeah, same. And we're recording back to back here pretty much. So, and this episode's uh, also coming out in, you know, 10 days. So, yeah. So, any, anything new, nobody's going to be relevant, anyways. I will only have one recommendation today. And um, basically, I'm looking for a new TV show to watch. Um, and while I was on HBO Max after I clicked off of uh, The Last of Us, Evidently, the uh, new season of Rick and Morty uh, is on HBO Max. So I've started watching that. I believe I'm like three episodes in. It's not bad so far. I mean, I feel like the show has kind of run its course at this point, but I'll still watch. I have nothing better to watch at this time, so might as well. Uh, one episode, two was about like alternate uh, universes and stuff. So kind of, uh, you know, relevant to this film, too. So I thought that was funny. But yeah, Rick and Morty, I would uh, recommend, uh, I think season three, I believe, is my favorite some really dark and existential stuff in, in some of the episodes. Uh, the first few in this one was not like that too much, but yeah, that's my rec this week. Yeah, I like it. I've actually never checked out Rick and Morty. Um, I guess you can watch anything that Marvel produces in the next three years, and it's basically like watching a Rick and Morty episode to a certain extent. I got a couple of recs for the people here. 
I mentioned it on our top 13 movie twists or whatever, our movie twist hall of fame episode we did a while back, but Planet of the Apes, I rewatched that movie, Cody. My God, I think it is like one of my 10 favorite movies of all time. Like the original really? Planet of the Apes. Really? It is so good. There's so many wow. interesting things about it. Um, I'm sure we'll do a podcast episode about it, but like the pacing is kind of interesting where like the apes don't even show up until like 35 minutes into the movie. There's a really cool like opening act. Charlton Heston, despite not necessarily being a great dude, is like incredible in us. The direction, there's all these crazy like crash zooms. And and then of course, like the ending is iconic um, in a way that like no other movie is. But yeah, I, I love the original Planet of the Apes. The makeup's fantastic. Oh yeah, beautiful. Interesting. Yeah, I haven't seen that for a while. Uh, the twist, of course, is iconic. If you haven't checked out our, our twist episode as well, I think that was a fun episode. But yeah, surprising. I, I definitely would not have pegged that to be in your top 10. So that's definitely interesting. And then uh, I checked out a new movie called Blackberry, which is the uh, Glenn Howerton, Jay Baruchel yeah. uh, movie kind of about the invention of the Blackberry. Um, it exists, you know, in the world of marketing real life movies that we've started to get, whether it be the Tetris movie or even Air, or, and there's, I think yeah. there's like a Flaming Hot Cheetos movie that's going to be releasing in the next couple of months. Terrible, yeah. So like we're in that world of IP where it's like product IP is what we're making movies about. Um, but BlackBerry does approach it from a differing angle because, as we know, like BlackBerry at the end of the day was a failure. Like the iPhone came in and destroyed the entire market that they were existing under. So, from that perspective, it's really interesting. Glenn Harrowchen plays this like real piece of shit businessman guy, and then Jay Baruchel is kind of like the nerdy scientist behind it. But he also undergoes a little bit of like a social network esque Jesse Eisenberg fall from grace, which I think is really interesting. Um, it's not as good as that movie. It's kind of a lesser version of all those, um, those types of things, but you know, I enjoyed it pretty well. Uh, it's got Carrie Ewell's in it, princess bride guy. So shout out Despero for psych stranger things as well. But yeah, that is interesting. I feel like you're right. I mean, kind of the IP movies are all in a sense, really trying to be the social network and clearly no other movie like that will ever be as good as that. But uh, yeah, I'm not a big fan of the IP movies. Obviously, Air, I do like a lot. But kind of just like the concept behind that is is pretty uninteresting, I think. Well, thank you guys for listening. Final happy birthday wish to our man, Cody, the big 2-4. Um, and uh, join us for our last couple of days of May Mania here. Absolutely, yeah. Stay tuned, obviously. If you haven't checked out our past episodes of May Mania, definitely check out those as well. But uh, yeah, appreciate it. Stay capping. Peace. What you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it.